What is going on, everybody? Good evening and welcome to episode 17 of the Motor City Metrics podcast. It is John and Youper, Chris and Raj. Maybe will grace us with our, their presence. We're not sure yet. Stay tuned to find out about that. But, Youper, you're looking different. You're sounding different. How's it going, Youper? What's new with you? I've upgraded technology, at least for one night here. I've always used this to plain old iPhone. I've been, I've been a very low-tech podcaster. Breaking out my wife's laptop today. And it is pretty nice. I got to say, I might be busting out some new technology here in the next few weeks. <laughs> see what the budget allows for. But yeah, it's good to be here. It's been a very, very interesting week of Tiger baseball. We were on what, Monday night, and it seems like the world changed in three days <laughs> with the injuries and everything else. How the season was pointed on Monday night is very different than how the season looks right now on Thursday night. I guess that's baseball, but it sure it sure hit us hard and fast. Yeah, and if we want to talk about, just quickly go over the series against the Rangers. Obviously, it was a tough series for the Tigers. The Rangers coming in thirty three and nineteen. Tigers were twenty five and twenty six, so they were looking to get to five hundred. Would have been huge for them to get two out of three, but they did salvage one game in the series. But yeah, I don't know what if I would call it like a slap, a, a bring back down to reality. But obviously, Texas was a very good team. What did you see from the Tigers? Do you think they hung in there pretty well? And I thought it was a fairly competitive series. Texas is a good team. Let's face it. They have a top-notch offense. There is not many easy outs to be had anywhere up and down that lineup. And the first game, the Traders coming off a nice series, an emotional series win against the White Sox. They had a steady diet of Nationals, Royals, White Sox. So I think getting on the field with Rangers is probably a little bit of a slap in the face for them. So they got shut out in the first game. Second game, the Tigers lost, what, the 12-6 was the final, whatever it ended up being. But they kept rallying a couple times early. They at least showed a little bit of fight, which I thought was good. And then it came out on Wednesday. They got 13 outs from Joey Wentz and only allowed one run, which you got to take it when you can get it against that team. And I think that was only the second time this year, I think, maybe third time, that the Rangers had been kept two runs or fewer. So the pitching staff really showed up on Wednesday and they were able to eke out a win and kind of salvage the end of the series, which was pretty good for them to go into the off day and onto the road trip. Yep. To end the month of May, the Tigers go 16 and 11. So a very successful month, I'd say. It'll be hard to top that in June. We're going to talk about the June schedule in a little bit and talk about our expectations for that. But yeah, in terms of the Rangers series, Joey Wentz, really, really solid. The Rangers offense, they're one of the best offenses in baseball so far this year. And you saw why, led by Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Josh Jung. That lineup just up and down is really, really solid. But I thought the Tigers hung in there. Their offense, they hung in there. The pitching, Alex Fideo, he really struggled. That was unfortunate to see, especially with some of these injuries. I'm a little worried about this pitching rotation. I know you were worried about the depth, Cooper. It's looking pretty grim right now. Reese Olsen will be making a start tomorrow. But yeah, how did the Tigers survive this? With now Erod on, on the injured list, obviously you have Matt, Mize, Manning, and Scooble all injured. It's going to be tough to navigate for the Tigers. There's no question. Getting, getting the news on whatever that was Tuesday morning about Eduardo Rodriguez was a, was a real, real hit. He's been pitching so well. He came back on Sunday and pitched a nice game against the White Sox after having a kind of a couple of mediocre starts after that tremendous run. He was looking like the ace of the staff. Also, 
Hall looking like a key trade figure moving forward or something that could get something pretty tasty for him at some point. All that kind of washed away when we found out something called the A4 pulley in your index finger, which I'm sure sent a lot of people to Google finding what the hell's the A4 pulley. So it looks like he's going to be out for several weeks before it's really back to normal. That is going to be quite a stressor on Detroit's rotation and bullpen. The Tigers have a lot of work to do. They need to hope uh, Reese Olsen can give them three to six competitive starts over the next couple months, if, that's, if that is indeed the plan. I'm assuming he's just not coming up for tomorrow as a one-time thing. So if he can earn the job, great. But I want to be perfectly honest. I saw him pitch in person here. I believe it was May 9th in Des Moines when the, when the Mudheads were here. And that was the last start before that nice streak of starts he's had. But I'll tell you, that night, if you had saw him that night, you would never, ever, ever have guessed that's a guy who's going to be making his major league debut in a month. He was working behind all the time, almost every hitter. He was splashing 96, 97 in the first inning, but by the third inning, that was down to 93, 94. He, he didn't really maintain his velocity throughout the appearance. He just he looked like a guy who's going to be a reliever someday. But now, since then, he's had several good starts in a row. All of them five innings or less, though. It's not like he's grinding out a ton of innings at AAA. So I don't think the Tigers can, can really assume they're going to get that either. But they, they're going to need him to, to help out. Uh, they don't have a lot of options in their minor league system right now. Yes, and, and we'll get through results. I just want to thank Josh Newman in the chat. He said, happy Friday, but then he corrected himself. It is Thursday, Josh. But thank you for the $2 donation. I, I don't have a soundboard. So you did do you have any, I know Chris was the one doing it. Do you have the exquisite? I think you could probably do it better than I can. I'm not sure I can, but exquisite. <laughs> okay. That was pretty good. But yes, hello to everyone in the chat. Make sure to leave your questions, comments, concerns. We will get to them as the show goes along. But yes, thank you to everyone for joining us. Yeah, in terms of Reese Olsen, I read that I think he had a 6.38 ERA at AAA this year. Mm. It's unfortunately... What the Tigers have to do, they've run out of options. Mm-hmm. I have heard rumors of them potentially using an opener, maybe Tyler Alexander or Mason Englert. But yeah, this is baseball. Injuries happen. The Tigers essentially have an entire rotation injured. When you think of Erod, Mize Manning, and Scooble, and Bo Brisky, that's a complete starting rotation. But yeah, they're going to need some guys to step up. We hope Fideo, that last start against the Rangers, was an outlier because his last start against the White Sox was... Couldn't have gone any better, and then his mm-hmm. next start seemingly couldn't go any worse. The Rangers are pretty tough. It's not too shocking they got to Fajardo. He's basically a two-pitch pitcher. That's that's a really tough assignment for him. I think right now Alex is a second-division type of starting pitcher. Yeah, and thank you to Blood Right, the sponsor of the podcast, for <laughs> another $5 donation. Blood Right, we got to get you like a logo or something, or DM me, Raj, if you have Twitter or something, Blood Right. You're you're the man. Thank you so Sign much. Him up. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. I have been surprised all year, actually, going back into the spring. They, the Tigers have set themselves up for this scenario, unfortunately. I am really, obviously, they couldn't know that Garrett Hill was going to go to hell and Bo Brisky was going to get hurt and be out and things were going to happen, but they did not have any veteran depth at AAA. Most teams, I mean, in the past, 
they'll try to have someone like Chad Hutchison, who's been a Tiger in the past, someone that they had on a AAA that they know they can bring up and at least get some kind of representative major league caliber start. Not that Chad Hutchison's any good, but he could take the ball on an emergency and, and possibly win you a game or at least keep you competitive in a game. The Tigers just simply don't have anyone like that at AAA, and that's how you end up with results at a 6.4 ERA. Yeah, and Josh with another five dollar donation. Josh, you're the you're right there as the sponsor of the podcast. I'm actually I've been talking to Raj. We're gonna do something special for all these super chats because honestly, you guys are so awesome for sending them in. Thank you so much. But I'm thinking maybe we get like a a board on the wall or something. We're gonna think of something cool because we have the best fans in the world and you guys deserve it. So thank you so much. Yeah, Reese Olson. I'm excited to see what he can do. I don't think he's gonna be up here long term. But yeah, hopefully Erod only misses a start or two. We'll see what happens. The injury I think a lot of people were upset with was Riley Green. I heard speculation that he could have gotten injured robbing that, that Jake Berger home run. I don't know really how he got injured, but I saw some clips of him grimacing during some games. But I think it was his left fibula, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. like a stress fracture. And that's it. I, and I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physical therapist. Don't take any of this. But it sounds like a stress fracture. I don't know if that happens off of one collision, right? I think stress fractures tend to build up over time from stress. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what caused it. We just know that they still have an undetermined amount of time that he's going to be out. And it's just, it'd be a shame if he was, even if he had been playing mediocre baseball, but Max, sorry, he was playing wonderful baseball and he was their hottest hitter. He was the most, he was in a lot of ways pushing this club to a different level and now now he's out and just by sheer happenstance the day before they went out and got jake marisnik who is a longtime veteran bench player nothing great but also a pro hopefully a guy they can plug in and play a good center field and maybe get a few timely hits yes and he did have a couple of timelines two hits the other way which went a long way in helping the Tigers win that third game of the series against the Rangers. Yeah, in terms of the outfield, I think Akil Badu is going to be a guy that's going to be leaned on pretty heavily. Zach Short, I think he'll get some time in the outfield. Even Nick Maton with Zach Short and McKinstry probably seeing more time in the outfield. I think Maton mm-hmm. sees some more time because Matt Veerling also placed on the disabled list. Yes. So, yes, big loss for him as well. So we hope someone can step up. I don't know. I feel like it was really Riley Green. Spencer Torkelson, Akil Badu, and Zach McKentry. Those were the four guys that kind of steered this ship in the right direction in May. Who do you think could be that guy that steps up in the wake of these injuries and be that guy we can look at in the month of June to well, pick up this offense? I think a streaky guy who I look at is Aircoss. He's a guy who, in the past, has had the ability to go on a four- and five-week run, providing some power and hitting very well. So if he's going to do that this year, now would be an excellent time to kind of launch that. So hopefully Haas, uh, you got to believe they'll get Carpenter back soon. Will he produce right away? That's anybody's guess. I'd just totally be guessing, but at least he would add some left-handed power to the lineup. So hopefully after a few more games at Toledo, he's ready to rejoin the team. He put more weight on Spencer Torkelson as well. He's been hitting, but he's only really showing a lot of stuff opposite field singles and some gap power. It would be great if he could put a half a dozen balls over the fence in June and really show some top-notch power 
versus what he's been doing. Although I, I'm not criticizing him. He's, he's drawing walks. He's hitting the ball pretty well. That's a good step for him. They're going to need him to do more now. Yeah, so Spencer Torgerson in the month of May, 784 OPS, only two home runs like Uper said, though. But if he put up that, that OPS for an entire season, I think a lot of fans would be very happy with that. We would just like to see a couple more balls get hit over the fence. I look at a guy like Javi Baez, man. He was dreadful in May for the most part. Like, he was pretty much... For sure, yeah. Yeah. The start of the month, he was he got really hot, had a couple of home runs. But he really struggled down the stretch. And this is a guy who's getting paid the big contract. He's still in the prime of his career. He's 30 years old. Is he the player he was two or three years ago? I don't know. But he should not be hitting the way that he is. His OPS is under 600 right now. Javi Baez has got to be better. I'm sorry. And yes, the short answer to that is yes. <laughs> he needs to be better. But he's another player who has legendarily gone on tremendous hot streaks. Wow. I don't know what it's going to take to have him get on one, but when you think about that trade two years ago when he went from the, uh, the Cubs to the Mets and he just purely dominated for two months as a Met, it's in there. He has that ability. He just, I don't know. They, they, they know how to pitch to him. He's seemingly unable to really conquer his demons about the low and away pitch. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's hard to believe that at some point he wouldn't leave the bat on his shoulder a little bit more on those pitches, but he doesn't. So they're just going to need him to get hot, whatever it takes to do it for him. But he's certainly one of his possibility along with Haas. Yeah, to me, he's, he's the guy I'm looking at. Scope that you could have hope that maybe he gets some more at-bats and can, can continue to hit better. Miggy even had a three-hit day. That was that was wild, man. Three hits for me. Oh, my goodness. I, I couldn't hey, believe that. Hey, he... Uh, he scored from second on that one play when he rounded third there. I couldn't believe it. And I thought for sure he'd be out by 10 feet, but he got him. It was also a very nice slide by him. He showed the baseball acumen there, but he legged it out. And that was, that was possibly the happiest I've been all year was that, that score that when he scored that run, a rounding third without stopping, without hesitating. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah, and in the wake of these injuries, we obviously are moving into June, which it's going to be a rough month schedule-wise for the Tigers. 27 games. I don't. Have, I think it was 17 of those are against teams over 500. Okay. And the number, we're not doing our segments, but the number, you know, seven, uh, seven games against the Minnesota Twins mm-hmm. in the month of June. So they haven't played the Twins yet. Those are going to be very big games, and they're going to be very telling of where this team actually stands. And yeah, other they have the White Sox, they have the Royals next month, so we're going to get some division matchups. I think it's really important that the Tigers play well against their division. But in terms of a record prediction, I said, oh, I forgot what I, I think I had them at eleven wins, eleven and sixteen. So I, it was I they were sixteen, eleven in May. I flip flopped it in June. Is that a realistic number? And what would be a successful month of June for the Tigers? I think if they could, if if they get, if they're 12 and 15 in this month, that would be, I think, pretty good. Because they have Atlanta coming up. They have Texas again. I mean, there's, there's, there's some good baseball teams in their, in their future here. I think the biggest thing is the seven games against the Twins. If they can win four, which is very doable, even with a depleted roster, because you just need a couple of bounces and a couple of calls to go your way, and you can win four or seven. Uh, if they can do that, or even if they won three of the seven, 
just to keep the twins within healing distance and don't let them run away. But the twins take six out of seven from the Tigers and the handwriting's on the wall, probably where things are going to go this summer. But if they can remain competitive in those seven games, particularly, they should be able to stick around in the division race and give us something to root for. Yeah, and especially I heard, I saw a post on social media about Shane Bieber, the Guardians potentially looking to move him, which doesn't surprise me. This is what the Guardians do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't do it with Jose Ramirez, which I was pretty shocked about, but Francisco Lindor a couple of years ago, you had Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger. I could see that being a very realistic possibility. So is it, a, is it really going to be a two-team race in the AL Central? Or I, I don't know, given that. Cleveland has some really good guys in the high minors. Depending what they give, give up or get back for Shane Bieber, if that happens, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't write them out. I really wouldn't because the way things are looking right now, if you can win eighty-three to eighty-five games, you're in the hunt. And Bieber has been a little bit diminished from where he was a few years ago. So if they get Gavin Williams up in the majors and Bybee keeps pitching well, Logan Allen. I, w- I would be loath to write off the Guardians. They seem to find a way. Yes, they do. And I know there was some minor league talk you wanted to get into, Uper. Any players in specific? I know our minor league guys aren't with us tonight, but what, what, were, what were your thoughts on that? It is interesting. A few guys like Colt Keith played some second base this week, and uh, Justin Henry Malloy has been in the outfield. And there have been some other players who are jockeying around and playing, like Gage Workman played some outfield. That seems to jive with a lot of what Scott Harris is building at the major league level, where they really look for guys who play a lot of positions. Perhaps they're starting to do that with a lot of their minor leaguers as well, get them multi-positional versatility and just do that organization-wide, just expect that of a lot of players. So that's going to be very interesting to see if that continues. And then the other cool thing was, ever since he was 16 years old, uh, I've had my eye on Jack O'Loughlin, the left-handed pitcher from Australia. When the Tigers signed him as a, as a youngster out of Australia, that was a bold move for them, something they haven't done a lot of. But it was at a time, I think, when they were sending a lot of players over to the Australian Winter League over there. That's probably where they scouted him. And it's just been interesting to see if a guy from Australia could go up through the system. He'd been quiet for a couple of years. But then this year, evidently, as Raj was saying, his, his velocity is up. 95-96. He went on a roll here of 20 consecutive scoreless innings. So he's obviously looking pretty good at West Michigan. And then today the word pops that, at least temporarily, if nothing else, he's skipping over double A and going to triple A. So that's a big move if he stays there, if that was the intent. Now, if they just needed arm for a couple of weeks or a week in Toledo and he goes back, then that's one thing. But if they really think that he's turned a corner and they moved him up to triple A, that's going to be a, a big, big day for his career. Yeah, and in terms of like minor leagues, Cole Keith has been on absolute fire. There's talk of him. I think Malloy was the guy a lot of people were looking at, but with his rough month of May, I think Cole Keith is now the the prospect we're all looking at that can hopefully come up and help this team. How realistic is that you prefer Cole Keith to come up here? Is he realistically going to skip AAA to come up here? And how impactful would he even be for this team? About 10 days ago, more or less, tweeted out there that Back in, in the spring, it would have been foolhardy to even contemplate the idea that Colt Keith is going to go from double A to the majors. But he has, over the course of these couple of months, 
hit and hit and hit to the point where maybe it's unlikely that he goes from double A to the majors, but it's no longer a, a silly thing to talk about. It's a, it's a legitimate thing you can speculate on. That's how well he's hit. He's, he's not striking out any crazy amount. He's being, he's able to hit lefties as well as righties. So he's, he's showing a lot of mature things as an offensive player that if they were to bring him up, let's say on July 1st, just to pull a date out of the air. They have so many players right now on the major league roster who are a big fat zero, basically in terms of production, the bar is low for what he would need to do to be, have some impact on what they do. And again, let's just pull fun numbers out of the air. Let's say he hit 250, slug 330, and got on base at a 400 clip. Those are all good numbers, but they're not great numbers. But if he did that, you plug that kind of offensive force into the uh, Tiger lineup, you would see a noticeable difference. So if he continues to hit, if he stays healthy and they think his glove is ready, it would be really fun to see him this summer. Get yeah, those numbers. He'd probably be the fourth best hitter, or no, fifth best hitter. <laughs> he might be, yeah. On the Tigers. But yeah, another guy I want to look at is Wilmer Flores, because I know he had that breakout year last year. Had a couple rough rough starts to, to start the year, but did have his best start of the season on the 30th of the month. Struck out eight batters. I wonder if he's the next man up. And if if there is another injury to the staff, which hopefully there's not, is, is he the next man up for the Tigers? I, I've always thought of him as a reliever. I still think he will get a chance to start. But I, looking at the Tigers minor league system right now, I think pitching is, is really, really lacking. That's something I would like them with these veterans that they have if they decide to trade them to get some young pitching prospects in here. But he very well might be the next man up for the Tigers right now if they have to dip back into that farm system. Yeah, he has pitched a little better lately, which is a good thing. If he continues to have a couple more good starts, when you see what they had to do for Reese Olsen, it's, it's a stretch that Reese Olsen is ready to do what he's about to do tomorrow. If you, if you see they're going to give Reese Olsen his shot, then the idea of Flores getting a shot sometime in the next three to six weeks isn't crazy either, assuming he continues to pitch competitively at Erie. So we'll see. It's him or it's Ty Madden, whatever they end up doing. This, if you are a pitcher with a pulse, and you're in the Tigers organization. This is the year to be in the Tigers organization. You will have a chance to pitch, most likely, the way things are going. Yes. And Wilmer Flores, to answer Samuel's question, he is in double A, has a 4.57 ERA, 35 strikeouts, and 41 innings pitched. So, yeah, not as good as he was last year, obviously, but hopefully he can work through those struggles. And at 22 years old, he still has time to hopefully be an impact pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. But he yeah, has, he has been better of late, I believe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, there's just some minor league talk of what's been going down in the minor leagues. Obviously, we wish our minor league guys were here because we know how in tune they are with that. But I wanted to get into some draft talk, Uper, because I know we haven't really gotten into the draft that much. Okay. We, will, we do have a big draft show coming up, and I know you've been tuned into some mock drafts. Is Are the Tigers... I won't say it's guaranteed, but more than likely, do you think the Tigers are going to be taking an outfielder with the third overall pick? Everybody who writes about the draft, who monitors the draft extremely closely, it's been boiled down to a group of five that have separated themselves from the pack. And four of them are outfielders. So 
odds are pretty good that the Tigers will walk away with an outfielder and pick number three. The amount of the matter is which one and where does the one pitcher fit into the equation? For instance, Kylie McDaniel at ESPN, real plugged in guy, has been at this for a long time. He shook things up a little bit with where he had people going. He had uh, Wyatt Langford from Florida and Dylan Cruz going 1-2. And if they go 1-2 in the draft, those are probably the, the two best outfielders, the, the, the fastest to the majors of the four outfielders are the two guys who are from college. The Detroit will have a decision to make if it ends up being that because you'll either have Paul Skeens, possibly the best college pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg, and I don't think that's an exaggeration by any stretch, or the two high school sluggers, Max Clark and Jenkins from North Carolina. So at that point, let's say that happens. Would you want the college pitcher from the SEC, who's been dominating the SEC with four plus pitches, one of the best fastballs there is, or would you want one of those high school outfielders? Well, that's going to be, if it comes down to that, if, if, if Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford are gone, that's going to be quite the decision for Scott Harris to make. Yeah, to me, I'm not. I haven't done much research, but I really am a big fan of Wyatt Langford. College mm -hmm. bat, looks like a very mature hitter. I think he's a guy that Scott Harris is going to value in terms of being able to draw walks. I, I'd be a very big fan of, of Wyatt Langford. I you know Max Clark and Dylan Cruz, I believe, are a bit younger, so they would have a little bit more time down in the minors. But I, the limited research I've done, I'm a really big fan of Wyatt Langford. I've always been under the belief, just don't be a pitcher. That it's as long as it's not a pitcher, because I think what we've seen is you can develop pitching. You can find guys later in the rounds. Shane McClanahan was a guy that came to mind for me. I think he was a late first round pick, maybe a comp pick. You can find pitchers. And I think if there's a, a hitter you look at at the top of this class that can be an everyday guy, maybe make a couple all-star teams, that's a guy you need to target because those are the guys that are in your lineup every day impacting winning baseball every single day so that's my stance on the draft we will have more draft content to come but to me just take a header that's that's where i'm at it's gonna be real interesting a lot of people believe that dylan cruz and paul Skeens, teammates from lsu could both be in the majors within a year that at some point in 2024 they could be major league ball players so that fast to the majors does that is that attractive to the tigers or not I don't know. Wyatt Langford probably in the same boat. What's really interesting, Wyatt Langford, Dylan Cruz got off to a massive start this year in the college season. And his OPS was about 1,300 to 1,500 the first three months of the year. He has slowed down in May. His, his OPS was under 700 in May. People could be pitching around him. A lot of things could be happening there. Or he's just in a little bit of a slump. I don't know if that affects his draft status at all. But Wyatt Langford... If you look at his numbers, it's been steady. He's been about a 1,200-plus OPS guy in February, March, April, and May. He's just been just cruising along, putting up big numbers. He actually has an OPS about 60 points higher than Dylan Cruz right now. Now, Dylan Cruz is more likely to play center field. Wyatt Langford might play center field. Is probably a left fielder. 
It depends on how heavily they value the defensive presence. To me, it's all about the bat, though. Who do you think is going to be the quality major league hitter? I would still lean toward Dylan Cruz, but why Langford is going to be a good fallback and maybe not even a fallback. He might end up being a better player down the road. Who knows? But don't, don't underestimate schemes. That, that guy has been dominating like nobody's business. When you look at Steven, he's, he's beating some of Steven Strasburg's numbers from 2009. And Steven Strasburg was the most dominant college pitcher I've ever seen. But he was doing it in a smaller conference. He was facing Utah and San Diego State and places like that, right? Paul Skeens is facing Alabama and Georgia and Vanderbilt and big-time college programs. And he is, he is shoving on all those teams. If the Tigers end up going that route, I would rather they get a position player too, but boy, this is not, this is, this, this could be landing your Garrett Cole to stick in front of your rotation for the next decade. Yeah. And that's a good point because the Tigers don't really have that right now. We thought Mize could be that. We maybe thought Scooble could be that. And you hope Jackson Job could be that. We don't know. And, and Paul Skeens, if he has that type of potential, the Tigers, they want someone they can build a rotation around like they had Verlander for all those years. He could be that guy, but I think in terms of an outfield, I'm just trying to think of what the Tigers could build around their identity for the future. And I'm thinking of an outfield with Riley Green and a Dylan Cruz, Riley Green and a Wyatt Lankford. And then you could throw in a Justin Henry Malloy, a Parker Meadows, or Roberto Campos, a Akil Badu. I think that could be a really, really exciting outfield for the future. And be not that Tigers identity, but that outfield could really be the driving force behind this offense and hopefully lead to some really exciting baseball behind those really young, talented outfielders. What I think is, when you just look at who's picking ahead of the Tigers, I believe Pittsburgh is a wild card. and They've been a wild card in the past. We don't know what they're going to do. They've tried to save money and then spread it around later in, in the draft in other years. They just did it a couple of years ago. Most people think if Paul Skeens is going early, It'll be to Washington at two because Washington evidently, and if you look at their prospect list, tons of outfielders already in their system. So some people are saying, hey, we don't really need to add another outfielder to the mix. Let's, let's get that big time pitcher. So if Skeens goes there, then Detroit will have a choice of at least one of the college outfielders and then the two high school dudes. Yes, it will be an interesting future for the Tigers, interesting draft month for the Tigers. Beaver, you just sparked a question for me, and I, I like to pose these questions, these creative little thought experiments, and people in the chat, you could play along. <laughs> Obviously, two months into the season, we're at a checkpoint, if you want to call it that. What do you think the Tigers could be a year from now, Youper? Paint that picture for me a year from now. What could we realistically be? Because I looked a, a year a year ago, they were 19 and 30, fourth place in the AL Central. I think a year later, they're in a much better position, completely overhauled their their front office. A year from now, you for what are you thinking for the major league team, for the minor league team? Just paint that picture of what you could, we could hope to see. Obviously, I don't believe Riley Green's injury is a long-term issue, right? It shouldn't be. So if he can get back and continues to progress on the path we've seen so far this year, he's going to be a borderline all-star player. So now you got that to build around. Spencer Torkelson has shown us something this month. He needs to keep doing it. He needs to get better. 
but he's he's showing that he can be a long-term presence. So now you've got two pillars of your lineup in place, right? But do the power's back. The guy is still showing the patience. He might be a regular player. Now you got three pillars in your lineup. So that's something to build on. Now you're getting the pitching back from injury. That's a, that's a dice roll. We don't know. But hopefully between Scooble, Manning, and Mize, you have at least one guy in there who is a, a number two starter. And now you got that in place. So pieces are coming together. And then the big thing is Miguel Cabrera's money goes away. Scope's money goes away. Possibly Erod's money goes away. Will Chris Illich spend the money to now bring in two to three players that are competitive veteran presences that can push your lineup forward? We don't know. We'd like to think he will, but we don't know that. So a lot of it's going to, where they are a year from now, a lot of it's going to depend on recovery from injury, which is a crapshoot. And a lot of it's going to depend on where Chris Illich decides to take the payroll and what he decides to invest in. I think they should be better next year. They, they should be. If these young guys that they're building around continue to impress us, Green and Torkelson, and Badu keeps getting better, there's no reason why they're not a slightly above 500 team and looking to compete in that division next year. Yes, and I agree with you on pretty much everything you said. In terms of free agency, I think they need to go out and get some impact bats. The bad news is I just don't see those impact bats on the market next offseason. I got a list pulled up right here. Okay. First base, Reese Hoskins. We have Reese Hoskins at home with Spencer Torkelson. Um, plus, he's coming off that injury. Maybe Adam Frazier is probably the best option at second base. Matt Chapman, do you really want to give him that long-term deal? Do you believe in him as a middle-of-the-order bat? Mm -hmm. uh, Baez, maybe with the opt-out. Tim Anderson as a club option. I think we could agree this. they probably need an everyday infielder. Jamer Candelario, I, <laughs> I don't want to make people mad, but Jamer Candelario has actually been pretty good for the Nationals this year. Yes, and, he has. Yes. And Willie Castro has actually been Pretty good for the Twins as well. I, again, I don't want to make people mad, but I just I just wanted to point that out. But in terms of outfield, Harrison Bader, is he really, is he better than what you have in Riley Green and Akil Badu? I don't know. Cody Bellinger, what kind of deal is he going to want? I don't know. Offensively, like Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchett. I don't know if there's any real needle movers out there offensively. I think if this team does spend money next offseason, it's probably going to be on starting pitching. Very possible. Yeah. that's their, They could invest it in their bullpen with whatever relievers are out there. Well, we talked about this over the last, past winter. Last year's free agent market was better. And it, this relatively plain-looking free agent class coming up isn't a shocker, right? We, we, we've seen this coming for a while. So they're going to have to use their money judiciously and uncover the one hidden gem. And hopefully that's what Scott Harris's skill is. And of course, there is the trade market too. They can decide to get aggressive and, and make some trades. And if they make a couple of advantageous moves, that's fine too, versus the free agent market. But I think they have, they've missed the boat in prior years by not investing earlier in free agency. Um, they decided to, they needed to build up their core of youngsters first and then add veterans to it. I would have gone the other way. I would have, I don't think there's ever a wrong time to get premium talent, 
I would have brought in players I think you can compete with and sprinkle in your kids among them. And I think that would have been a more productive use of time and money. But I don't make those decisions. I just get to sit here in Iowa and pontificate about it. So, Yes. Uh, thank you to Harrison Garrett, loyal listener, $2.50 donation. Thank you very, very thank much. You. Again, we're going to have something special for you guys planned. It's in the works, I promised. But yes, in terms of the offseason, I think it could be pretty similar to what we saw this offseason. I think those under-the-radar moves that Zach McKinstry searching the waiver wire, finding these guys that you don't really bat an eye at, bat an eye at a couple months into the season. It's like, wow, Zach McKinstry's one of the Tigers' best hitters. I think that's how Scott Harris likes to operate. I did do a little homework. Some names, now, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I don't know how realistic this is, but I thought it was just a little fun topic I had. Three starting pitchers, I thought, that could be interesting for the Tigers because okay. we are, they brought in Matt Boyd. They brought in Lorenzen as one-year options. I don't think Scott Harris is going to be a guy that wants to sign pitchers to long-term deals like we saw him do in San Francisco. So three guys. Jack Flaherty, who is 27 years old, so will be entering his age 28 season next year. He's a guy that he's, he's struggling so far this year. The ERA is almost at five. Mm-hmm. If he's a guy that wants to take a one- or two-year prove-it deal, come to Detroit. The Tigers will have to overpay for him, obviously, but if it's only a one- or two-year deal, especially with all the money that they're going to have freed up, I think you could swallow that. And he could be a guy, maybe that Correa deal, where he had a three-year deal, but he had an out after every single year. Flaherty could come here, be that starting, you know, number one starter for the Tigers, prove that he's back to what we knew he could be, which I think a lot of people think he could be a frontline starter and get that prove it deal for the Tigers. I think he could be a a pretty attractive option. Also, Blake Snell not having the best season with the Padres. If he's a guy that wants to come to Detroit to try to rebuild his value. And then Luis Severino, who's been injured if he wants to come to Detroit, he's still relatively young. I think he'll be in his age 30 season next year. If he wants to take a one or two year flyer, rebuild his value on the market. So just three names, I thought, because I think that's the type of pitcher the tires are going to look at. Probably not a long-term deal. It will be interesting. Flaherty, I think his velocity is down. I'd be interested to know what his health situation is. You would think he would want to work with Chris Fetter, assuming the Tigers keep Chris Fetter. That should be an attractive landing spot to try to rehab your career to get with a top pitching coach and see what can happen. Blake Snell drives me to drink watching him pitch. I, I, obviously, he's got a lot of talent, and that'd be fine. Nothing wrong with bringing him on, but no. I, he, he's maddening to watch. And then, yeah, Severino has been hurt so much. When he does pitch, he's great. Those are all fine options. It all comes down to how many are they going to need? Are they going to bring Lorenzen back for one more year? Are they going to get something out of Mize and Scooble next year where they are at least middle rotation guys? That's going to be an interesting thing. Here's the other thing I was thinking about today. Prior to the A4 pulley, the mysterious finger pulley for Eduardo Rodriguez, it was pretty much a guarantee amongst everybody we talked to that he's going to opt out after this year if he stayed in Detroit. So that's why they should trade him and try to get something. Now, the trade market, they could possibly still trade him, but it's not as attractive as it looked 72 hours ago, the, what you, the idea of what you get back for, for Erod. Does the injury bring enough doubt into his mind 
of what will be out there where he actually opts in. Is that a, where that was a 0% chance three days ago, is there now a 10, 12% chance that maybe he will take the deal that Detroit has because he's hurt? We don't know. I, I think that's at least something that can be in the conversation. And if he does opt in, then Detroit would have him to plug into a rotation next year too. Yeah, three years, $85 million, he'd be leaving on the table. I think he's his age 30 season this year. I, you hope he only misses a couple starts. And even if he does miss a couple starts, he's still probably going to hit that 150-inning threshold, which I think a lot of pitchers aim for in today's league. I, I think he's probably going to want a long-term deal, if I'm guessing. Unless he misses two to three months, which he could get injured again, hopefully not, but... I, I hope this injury is just a couple starts. He could come back and look mediocre too. That's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ways to go. Everything I've seen so far, to me, I, I'd be surprised if it's less than six weeks that he's out because he's going to have to get the thing better. He's going to have to rehab it, and then he's going to have to pitch a little, probably, somewhere. So is he back before the 4th of July? I'd be really surprised. I think we're looking more along July 15th. And then maybe they could get him on the mound a couple times before the trade deadline and, and see what could happen. Yeah, it's unfortunate for the Tigers pitching staff. This is baseball. There's injuries. We, we don't really know when Scooble will be back. I don't think June is realistic. I'm not even sure of July, how realistic that would be. He would be a big get back for the Tigers. But uh, yeah, we'll obviously see what happens. We're hoping some guys can step up. He threw a live bullpen, right? He threw to, he threw to Major League hitters. Mm -hmm. I think Scope said he looked nasty. So that's a good sign. Are they going to send him down to Erie or Toledo and make some rehab starts? Well, that's something to be on the lookout for. Then assume, I would assume once he can get through a batting order twice on the minor league level, they'll, they'll try to get him into the majors and get, get this ball rolling for him. Yeah. Obviously, the last thing you want to do is rush him back. But uh, I don't know. Maybe if the Tigers are still in contention, they'll have more of an incentive to get him back in this rotation. I think, yeah, yes, but I think what you just said, I think the first thing you said makes more sense. I think in this respect, even if the Tigers do compete for this kind of weak division, right, they're not a World Series contender. So in this respect, I would say you've got to protect the player first before you put the team needs in front of him in this situation. Let him get back from his injury. Make sure he's 100% before he's rushed to the mound. And I'm sure that's what they are doing. Yes. But yeah, that was just a little fun experiment. I thought it would... It would kind of lead to some things, and we had a good conversation about it. So without our segments, we haven't really gotten into any MLB talk. So just another quick question is, we could go over our biggest disappointment so far through the season and our biggest surprise. Now, you can either do Tigers, you could even do down in the minors, or you could just do Major League Baseball as a whole. I'll let you guys play along in the chat, but I don't know if you had any off the top of your head for biggest surprises and then your biggest disappointment two months into this Major League Baseball season? Yeah, that's a great question. The Phillies have been a little bit of a disappointment to me, playing just below 500 baseball. I really thought they had, the, after last year's run to the World Series, I, I thought they would come back this year and even be a little bit more ready to dominate in that division. They were playing some mediocre baseball. But they, do, they did miss Bryce Harper for six weeks. Now they have him back. That's a big, big boost. We'll see how the summer wears on. If they get on a roll last year, they didn't, they were nothing special until probably August anyway. So maybe they're going to redo that route. Biggest surprise. I mean, I don't know if it's the biggest surprise, but the one I'm happiest about is Akil Badu. 
We already talked about them, so I've spent a whole lot of time on it. But people were actually talking on Twitter and stuff that, oh, this is his last chance this year. He's got to make something. I didn't believe that at all. I mean, they have, he has options left next year. He had a lot of time. But he showed enough two years ago where you could not give up on him. He's still a young guy. The athleticism is there. He showed that he has the potential to hit for a little bit of power. And now it's, it's back. And he's looking good. He's lengthened the lineup. I hope it continues. But I've been very heartened to, uh, to see the, the surge he's put on and to see if it keeps going forward this summer. Yeah, he's looked like one of the Tigers' best hitters and still very young as well. I think that's great to see. I don't know. I was looking for a team to highlight. There's been so many surprising teams. Texas, Baltimore, crazy. You have Arizona, the third best record in the National League. Take your pick. I think I'd have to go with Baltimore. I, the the yeah. fact that they didn't add really any substantial names to their starting rotation, how sustainable could this really be? I don't know. But the fact that they're sitting there just four games behind the Rays, considering how good the Rays have been, is just crazy. And I also did see a comment from Sam in the YouTube chat. The Blue Jays is a disappointment. Yeah. We, talk, we talked about this last week. In terms of pressure, the money that they've spent, the prospects that they've given away, the names that they have in that lineup, they're 30 and 27 right now. They look like a mediocre team right now. And I'm not going to say it's World Series or bust for them, but if they miss the playoffs, they got to figure something out because, like I said, that farm system has been depleted. <laughs> that that payroll is, is getting up there. So the Blue Jays, yeah, there's in terms already, of just. There's already talk they want to fire that first year manager. <laughs> That'd be something. Yeah, and, and another team I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, you could put them in a surprise is the Los Angeles Angels. They're third place right now in that division. They're three games behind Texas, 30 and 27. They're going to be a team to watch because of the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. If they're in it, they're not trading him. If they fall out of it, they're, they're probably going to trade him, and it will be a very, very interesting trade deadline. I don't know if there's a move they can make to, to push them into the same stratosphere as the Astros or the Rangers, but they're going to be an interesting team, man. They have that top-end talent, and their pitching, obviously led by Otani, has been a little better. Very, very interesting, but I think what I'm taking away is there's a lot of teams clustered around 500 right now. Mm -hmm. I think the month of June, we can start to see start to find out who these teams really are, whether it's yeah. the Phillies rising up to be that team, the Padres. We got to talk about the Padres, 25 and 30. Bad. Yeah, they're definitely, I feel like, the biggest disappointment. I think June is going to be a big month, and I think we're going to see the cream rise to the top, and we're going to see some of these teams. Maybe you think the Tigers are in that category as some of these teams that are going to play down to their talent level like the Pirates did in May, but it'll be a very interesting month of June. Toward the end of June, early July, that's when the weight of the baseball schedule starts to crash on teams who are pretenders. And the contenders are the ones who keep going forward, right? Pretenders tend to die. It's, it's not called the June swoon for, for no reason, right? That's when the, the schedule really piles up. Yeah, I think that some of these teams that are within three games of 500 or above, a couple will separate and a couple will fade. and anybody's guess right now how that's going to play out go back to baltimore quick heard something really cool when you think about the massive talent that they have growing in their everyday lineup at mlb pipeline 
11 months ago, Adley Rushman was the number one position player prospect on their list. He graduated and they immediately moved Gunnar Henderson to number one position player prospect on their list. They are speculating when they reshuffle things in June that there's a very good chance Jackson Holiday is going to be the number one position player prospect on their list. So they would have had three number one guys in 11 months on one major prospect ranking list. And all those guys are looking pretty good. I know Gunnar Henderson got to a little bit of slow start. I think he's even starting to hit a little bit better right now. And when you think about that, we didn't even mention Jordan Westberg, who would be the Tigers' number one prospect easily. And he's just, he's an oh-by-the-way guy tearing up AAA right now. Baltimore, if you're a Baltimore fan, you've got to be pretty excited for the next few years. Things are really coming along. Now, will that ownership invest and push them to another level? Again, history tells us maybe not, but we'll have to see. Maybe they'll be motivated by this. This amount of talent might motivate them to do something. Yeah, and I did see a comment in the chat a while ago that was, it was draft, develop hitters, pay for pitchers. That's maybe what Baltimore has done with all these position player prospects. In terms of pitching prospects, it's really Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. They don't really have any other high-level pitching prospects. They've really focused on those groups of position players, Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, really focused on developing those guys and getting this lineup to where it needs to be. That is an approach I wouldn't mind seeing the Tigers take in developing these young position player prospects. So it'll be very interesting to see, but they've been a, a very pleasant surprise as well. Better very far. I, one team I wanted to mention too is the Cincinnati Reds, who are 26 and 29 right now. They've won five in a row coming into tonight. Uh, Matt McClain looks like a star right now. Yeah. Yeah. The Cincinnati Reds look like they have a very bright future well, in the NL Central. They have two guys, Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand, tearing it up in AAA and both. Mashing homers, uh, showing De La Cruz showing speed as well. Both could easily be up in the majors in the next month, added into their lineup. So they have reinforcements coming, and Cincinnati fans probably are licking their chops to get a load of Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah, and if we could tie this all back into the Tigers, I think another thing is with all these teams being clustered around 500, n- not a lot of teams necessarily, I wouldn't say tanking, but being that bad who knows how many sellers there's realistically going to be at the deadline. That's why I've been so adamant on them, that the Tigers being sellers. Because if you look at all five teams in the AL East, are, AL East are competing, four teams in the AL West are competing, four teams in the, in the NL West are competing, you've got the three powerhouses in the NL East. It doesn't look like there's going to be that many sellers, which I think could really play into the Tigers, making the most out of these veterans they could sell at the deadline. I think they're... I would look at who are the GMs who are in the most rock solid position in terms of their job status. Cause those are the guys who I think would look at the situation and say, yeah, we're around five. Let's say you're Boston, right? And you're kind bloom. And maybe you've been had assurances from the top that, you know what, your job is safe. Maybe he looks at the division as being pretty tough. Says, yeah, we're about 500, but we're not good enough we're going to make some moves here and bring in some other talent and we're going to take advantage that there's not that many sellers and we're going to be one and see what we can do and shake things up here. I, well, are there other teams like that? I think San Diego, 
But even with all the money they've spent, their GM Preller, do they want to try to sell off some of those pieces now because it just hasn't come together and they want to try again? So that's going to be it. Yeah, I think the trade the trade deadline is going to be a lot of fun for Detroit. Again, we miss Erod. We miss the sweepstakes there. Our friend Lynn Henning keeps talking about Alex Lang. I'm, I'm on that. I you know, know me and Raj debated that. Next yeah. time Raj is here, we got we're going to get back into that. I tell you, I'm starting to think it's not that crazy. Because here's the thing, right? A lot of people online have said young relievers with tons of control don't get traded. Okay, fine. I I, I agree that has not happened, but that doesn't mean it can't happen, and that doesn't mean you should automatically not do it because no one else has done it. That doesn't make any sense either. I like Alex Lang. And I think he's a good relief pitcher. But the last couple times, though, he's, and I'm not saying this after a bad outing. He got the save the other day. It was great. But I think he threw, like, our friend Jerry Mackinnon. I was speculating on my own that, he, did Alex Lang throw a single strike in the zone in that outing? <laughs> and then Jerry, a few minutes later, after I talked about that, he posted that it was indeed two out of 21 pitches were in the strike zone. And that's great. He got people to wave and miss, and it's good. How long can you keep doing that? I wish Alex Lang had a more dominant fastball that he could rely on when he's in trouble. But it's, it's all about the power curve, and it's a fantastic pitch. But at some point, you're not always going to get people out from outside of the strike zone. You've got to be in the strike zone and get people out once in a while. And I don't know if he's that guy long-term. So if someone wanted to give me a guy who we know we could plug into the lineup in the next year, I wouldn't be opposed to that trade. No. Here's my standpoint. Again, I don't want to get too much into it because I think me and Raj had a good conversation about it. But to me, history repeats itself, and you got to learn from your past mistakes. What were your past mistakes? Michael Fulmer. Michael Fulmer is such a good young pitcher. We could trade him now, but he's got all these years of control. Imagine how good he's going to be in two to three years. Gets Tommy John, you essentially trade him for not much of anything. Matt Boyd, 2019, off to a really good start to the first half. Oh, we got all these years of control. Let's keep him around. End up never trading him, get nothing for him. Alex Lynch has an ERA barely over one right now. How long is he going to be able to keep that up? Can you honestly, realistically say he's going to be able to be better than he is right now? I don't think so. And, and again, pitching, we've seen all the injuries. They're one injury away from not being the same pitcher that they once were. Capitalize on this now. You, this team needs power hitters. They need impact bats, and they need impact starting pitchers. This team is not going to win a World Series because they have Alex Lange and Jason Foley in the back end of their bullpen. I had a thing about it is this too. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. I just laid out my case why I think there's some weaknesses to Alex Lange. I'm not smarter than an average major league general manager. They see that too. So there is a question, even with his gaudy ERA and that wonderful curveball, which, which is a killer, how big a market is there among contenders for Alex Lang? That might be questionable too. I mean, people might not be willing to mortgage much of their future for him. I don't know that, but I would definitely put him out there and see what the market yields. Before I said no, I don't think it's automatic. Say no way, we're not doing it. See what's out there. You can't say no until. Yeah, absolutely. I think they need to do their diligence and really look into that. Because again, 
I, I heard like fans will be upset if they trade Alex Lynch. Guess what? Fans are going to be upset in two to three years if you don't trade him. And then he ends up getting injured and you get nothing for him. Just like they were, fans were crucifying Al Avila because you could have got Javi Baez or Alex Bregman for Michael Fulmer, but you decided to hang on to him. So, well, John, here's the old saying, right? If you listen to the people in the stands, you're going to be out there sitting with them soon. Exactly. So I wouldn't worry about what the fans think. I wouldn't worry about where. We're fans ourselves, right? We take it probably to a, another level over some other fans who maybe watch one game a week and would have an opinion. They shouldn't worry about what we think either. They, they should make the move that they think is right. And if they think moving Alex Lang is right, then you got to have the conviction to do it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's coming from Harrison in YouTube chat. Drew Gilbert, he's an outfield prospect from the Astros. So if Houston is looking to Eduardo Rodriguez's trade deadline, Maybe that's a, a prospect the Tigers could look at as well. Yeah, did you have anything to add, Uper? No, Drew Gilbert would be great. And also, someone like Arizona has a ton of outfield prospects and some surplus out there. So I mean, there, there's, there will be teams looking to buy. And people always say, oh, it's a buyer's market. It's a seller's market. There will be enough talent moved to make it worthwhile for someone. Yeah, I'm not going to say Arizona is my number one destination, but if you look at them, they're going to be in the playoffs. It's maybe. It's looking like it. They're, they've been playing well. But in that three-game playoff set, they're going to have Zach Gallen. They're going to have Merrill Kelly. Who's that number third starter for them? I don't think they necessarily have someone they can look at in that rotation to give the ball to in a playoff series. Maybe that could be Eduardo Rodriguez. Yep. I think that'd be a really nice fit there as well. But, uh, yeah, I think that's all we have. We didn't really have any questions to get to. Britt, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about, Ed, before we get out of here? It's always fun to go into Comiskey or guarantee rate field. It's going to be a good series this weekend. Hopefully they can take two out of three from the White Sox, even when they're a little shorthanded here. And if they can, the White Sox, boy, there's just continue to circle the drain. If that happens, that would be a positive development. I always like to see the White Sox struggle. But it would also just be really something for the Tigers to come together and win this series and, and keep moving the ball a little bit further at a time. Yep, maybe get to 500. We've, got, we've gotten so close. They take two out of three. They're one game under 500. If they sweep, they're a game over 500. So maybe it'll happen, but we'll be here to cover it. We'll likely be back. Raj and Chris will be with the Minor League Podcast on Sunday night. We'll be back on Monday nights, and then obviously every Thursday as well. Thank you guys, everyone who donated, everyone Mr. who joined in. Yes, I appreciate it very, very much. Go Tigers. Enjoy the month of June. Enjoy the nice weather. We'll see you guys in the next one.